Well, good morning again. We're in week three of our series, Why God Became Human. And our theme verse for our series is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that the Word became flesh. And in John, chapter 1, verse 1, John starts his Gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John is using this metaphor of the word to talk about Jesus. So it says, and the word became flesh. This is what we call the incarnation, that God became human, that Jesus was born amongst us, and he dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, and Jesus came, listen, full of grace and truth. Aren't you glad it wasn't just one or the other, that he came full of grace and full of truth? And this morning what we're going to see is that one of the reasons why God became human was to show us the kingdom, to show us his kingdom. And we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized in water by John the Baptist. He's just gone into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil, and he comes out of that. And in Luke chapter 4, we pick up the story beginning in verse 14, and it says this, that Jesus returned He returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding county or country. So everybody's starting to hear about this man named Jesus. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This was his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This morning, as we consider the kingdom of God, we're going to learn three things. We're going to learn about the priorities of the kingdom. We're going to learn about the power of the kingdom and the people of the kingdom. Priorities, power, and people. We all have priorities, right? Priorities determine things like where we live and, and uh, what we do with our lives and who we hang out with and even what you're going to eat for lunch today. That's based on your priorities. Everybody has their preferences. And the conflict in our life mostly comes from when my priorities don't match up with yours. When I want to go to Five Guys, but you want to go to Panera. That's an easy decision. Who picks Panera over Five Guys, right? But when we have these battle of priorities, we end up in these moments of conflict. And, and sometimes that happens. Yesterday was beautiful, right? It was, and today's going to be even a little bit nicer, I think. It was 55 degrees yesterday, which in Syracuse, 55 degrees in March, you're already thinking, should I open the pool? Like, it, it's, it's that sort of like you're getting really excited. I was out back yesterday with the family, and I took the cover off of my Weber grill, and my Weber grill and I had a moment together. And I just gave it a little pep talk. I was like, I know you've just been sitting there for months, but get ready. You and I got some serious work to do. <laughs> So we, uh, my wife and our three daughters and our puppy, we got in the car and we, you know, our little puppy, we've walked him around the neighborhood, but now we were going to take him to like the Super Bowl of dog walking, the Onondaga Lake Park, right? And so we head over to Onondaga Lake Park and really we had three priorities. Number one, enjoy the beautiful day. Number two, have some quality family time. 
And number three, prove to everybody there that we're capable, competent dog owners who know how to walk our dog. The problem was that Mickey had different priorities, <laughs> our puppy, and his priorities were to make sure that none of ours happened, that we could not enjoy the day, that we could not enjoy each other, and that we looked like total fools in front of all these. We got to the park, and he lost his puppy mind. I mean, he'd never seen so many people in his life. He's never seen, he's been in our house for really since we got him, and just around the day, he just didn't realize there was that much in this world, and he just went crazy. He was walking weird. He was, he sounded, he was making sounds like I was killing him. Like, he, as I was walking, he was making this noise that was making other people look at me like I was, like, trying to injure him. And so uh, sometimes our priorities come into conflict. And when Jesus came to earth, the priorities of his kingdom came into severe conflict with the priorities of this world's kingdom. Jesus was born into a Jewish, uh, Jewish culture, uh, a Jewish religion, but the Jewish culture and Jewish people at that time were being swallowed up by a Greco-Roman world, right? The Romans had the political power and the Greeks had all the uh, cultural influence. And Jesus walked into that world and with his life and with his teaching, what he declared was the priorities of my kingdom are different than all of yours. And if you look at um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, probably his most fam famous sermon in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus does something brilliant. He confronts the priorities of the Jewish people, the Greeks, and the Romans. And the Sermon on the Mount starts famously with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now listen, that, doesn't, that, that, wouldn't have, that didn't fly in Rome. Rome was power. Rome was military. Blessed are the winners. Blessed are the dominators. Blessed are those who can put their foot on their enemy's throat and lord it over them. And into that world, Jesus says, no, my kingdom is nothing like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit and those who hunger and thirst for God. They will be satisfied. They will see the kingdom of God. And then in, you keep reading into Matthew chapter 6 and 7, he begins to confront the Jewish religion. Because the priorities of the Jewish religion at this time, especially amongst the leadership, was outward behavior and rule following. Right? So the Jewish leaders had written this document called the Mishnah where they had added hundreds of rules to God's commandments and they were weighing people down with it, putting it like a burden on their shoulders saying, hey, you want to be a faithful Jew? You want to be faithful to God? Then you got to keep all these rules too. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and 7 says things like this, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I'm saying if you even hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you that if you even lust after him or her in your heart, you've already, what's Jesus doing there? I'll tell you what he's not doing. He's not raising the bar of the rules that you need to keep to make yourself righteous. What he's doing is he's breaking up your whole rule-keeping hope. That you think you can be good enough. This is what it takes to be righteous. And so into this world, Jesus comes with a totally different set of priorities, confronting the Jewish people and the Greeks and the Romans. Jesus' kingdom, can I just suggest, his priorities still confront our priorities to this day, right? And I came up with some different statements that reflect the, the priorities of this world and the priorities of God's kingdom, earthly kingdom and God's kingdom. This kingdom, our world says, be true to yourself. You do whatever you want. But God's kingdom says, deny yourself and follow me. 
This world's kingdom says, embrace comfort and convenience and just make your life as easy as possible and whatever you gotta do to feel good and escape, do it. And Jesus said, take up your cross. Not comfortable, not convenient. This world says, follow your heart. And Jesus, the scriptures say that your heart's desperately wicked. You can't even know your own heart. No one's lied to you in your life more than yourself. That's the nature of the human heart. But, this, but our, our world's kingdoms, our society, they would say, nah, if you feel it, if you love it, if you want it, go get it. Who can tell you otherwise? There's different priorities, right? The world's priorities say, I only answer to me. No one can tell me how to live my life or what to do with myself. I'm my own. And the scriptures reveal that God is our righteous creator and that we answer to him for the way in which we live our lives because we've been created, as we talked about two weeks ago, to bear his image. This is a big one. Today, the world's priorities say, you define and create your own truth, right? Our society, America, here we are. We're postmodern. We're post-truth. Nobody can say what's truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. You just make up your own truth. And, just, and into that, Jesus said, I am the truth. <laughs> truth is not a set of beliefs or a doctrine necessarily. Truth is a person, a person to know. This world says, look out for number one. And Jesus says, as Jason taught so powerfully last Sunday, be a servant of all. Listen, if you want to be a leader, a lot of times leaders think, if I lead, then I'll get my way. But leadership is not about getting your way in the kingdom of God. Leadership is about laying your life down for the people that God has given you to lead. The last thing leadership is about is the leader. <laughs> the first thing leadership is about is the people that God has entrusted us to lead. Different priorities. This world says, surround yourself with winners and Jesus ate with the outcasts, the losers. He was accused of being a friend of sinners because he hung out with them and he ate with them. This world says, hey, be seen and noticed. Get your clout up and put out your Instagram posts and do all these different things that John the Baptist knew better. He said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And then lastly, this world says, get to the top of the ladder. Whatever you gotta do, climb your way up there. And Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first. Listen, let's not get confused about the kingdom of God. It's nothing like the kingdom of this world. If you serve God because you think it's gonna build you a bigger platform, give you more influence, give you uh, more power, if it's about you, if it's gonna make you the, become the best version of yourself or find your deepest fulfillment, that's not ultimately what it's about because the Bible says if you wanna gain, your, if you wanna, if you wanna gain his life, you have to be willing to lose your life. The priorities of the kingdom are so different. So, what do our lives reveal about our priorities and how do we know? A couple things we can look at. Look at your calendar. Um, where do you spend your most time? Which, you know, where are your priorities? Look at your bank accounts. How do you invest your time, talent, and treasures? That will reveal what your priorities, priorities are. Look at your energy. Where does all your energy go? Or oh, here's another one. Look at all your worry. What is, where's all your worry rooted? Whatever your worry is rooted in is the thing that matters the most to you. That's your true priority. Think about your, pay attention to your mind. I was listening to a sermon last week and the lady who was preaching said this phrase. She said, we need to learn to pay attention to what we pay attention to. I thought that was so simple but insightful. Pay attention to what we pay attention to. Because whatever you pay attention to the most, whatever you most easily give your attention to or most readily direct your affections towards, those are your true priorities. And the questions we have to ask ourselves, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, is do my priorities reflect the priorities of the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of this world? So we see the priorities of the kingdom. The second thing that we see in this text is the power of the kingdom. Jesus, it said in verse 14, he returned out of the wilderness 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he began to do his ministry in that sort of power. And when we go later into the chapter of Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus delivers a man who's been possessed with demons. And he also begins to heal many people. He even heals Peter's mother-in-law. Funny thing to notice, but Peter never asked Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. But Jesus did it. I'm just joking. We love mother-in-laws in this church. God bless mother-in-laws. But that is why Peter denied Jesus later, because he healed his mother-in-law. No, I'm just kidding. Peter, mother-in-law is healed. And Jesus is displaying his power here, that he has power over darkness, over demons. He has, spiritual, he has power even over sickness. And we begin to see that in the kingdom of God, there's real power, Right? But it's not just the power to open blind eyes. It's not just the power to cast out demons. Jesus walks into Nazareth, and before he does any signs or wonders, he opens up the scriptures. And there's power in the scripture. There's a power in his teaching. In fact, when Jesus would teach, other people would say, he's not like the other teachers. He teaches as someone who has authority and power and not like everyone else. The power of the kingdom is found in God's word and in God's work in both of those things. And whenever Jesus would open the eyes of the blind or, or, or raise someone from the dead or heal someone from a sickness or set someone free, what he was doing was he was giving us a glimpse of his kingdom, the kingdom of God breaking in on our broken world. And that's really what we pray. When Jesus said, pray this way, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Let your kingdom come. What we're praying is God, let your kingdom be in our midst and let us see it at work. When Jesus walked into Nazareth, what he said here is actually more important than we realize. Because in the Gospel of Luke, this is the first recorded words of Jesus in public ministry. And so when people look at this that Jesus said in Isaiah, uh, quoting from Isaiah, people look at this and go, this was Jesus' inauguration speech. This was him saying, this is what my kingdom is all about. And what was so shocking about it was that he talked about a kingdom of the poor, the blind, the captive, and the oppressed. Who comes for those people? What kind of king builds his kingdom on those people? But Jesus here is giving us a glimpse of the heart of his kingdom. And whenever he would do these miracles, the kingdom of God would break in on us. And there's this thing that we talk about that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. It's here but it's not fully here. How many of you have experienced moments in your life where you sense the presence and nearness of God in such a way that you're like, his kingdom is here in our midst, but how many of you also realize that Monday comes <laughs> and the kingdom doesn't feel as close on Monday morning as it did necessarily on Sunday morning? This summer, the Olympics are supposed to happen. Hopefully they will in Tokyo, Japan. They were supposed to happen last year, but, you know, covid and uh, I love, any, any Olympic fans, I really enjoy watching the Olympics. I, I like the Summer Olympics probably the most. And uh, I always think, like, the Olympics, the power of the Olympics, first off, is it can unite a country that's not united. Hopefully, we'll see. But also, uh, the other power of the Olympics is that it makes us care about sports we literally haven't thought about in four years. <laughs> right? So come Winter Olympics, everybody's a curling fan. You, but you haven't thought about it in four years, so you got to go read the rules again, right? And Aaron will be like, come on, can we watch something else? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a huge decathlon fan. <laughs> She's like, you don't even know what is involved in a decathlon. I'm like, yeah, but it's the Olympics. 
And so I love the Olympics, and I love watching the swimming, which is usually like the first week of the Summer Olympics. And I remember when Michael Phelps was just winning everything. You know, th- there's this moment when, when the swimmer touches the wall, and the moment that the swimmer is the first to touch the wall, he or she is the gold medal winner. Agreed? Right? But the gold medal is not around their neck yet. I don't know how long it takes, whether it's 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, between the actual finishing of the race and what they call the sort of the medal ceremony, right? And so at the medal ceremony, they stand on the podium, they get the gold medal placed around their neck, and the anthem plays, and the flag goes up, and that's the moment where everybody's like, yes, he won the gold medal. And in some ways, Christians were in between the touching of the wall and the medal ceremony. Jesus has already won. The victory is already secure. He's the gold medal winner, so to speak. But you and I don't have it around our neck yet, do we? We have other things around our shoulders and in our hearts. It's already been won. It's not fully realized yet. That's the kingdom. It's already, but it's not yet. And so here's what we do as Christians. We pray, God, let your kingdom break in more on my life. Some of you need to pray, God, let your kingdom break in more on my marriage. Let your kingdom break more in on my children's lives. When you're talking with your neighbors, God, that's a moment where the kingdom of God can break in. And something, when you're praying for somebody who's sick, God, let your kingdom break in on this person's physical body and let them experience just a taste. Because someday in the kingdom of God in heaven, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more shame. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more te- tears. But we're not there yet. Where are we? We're in between. So what do we do in the meantime? God, let your kingdom come in power. And sometimes I've seen his kingdom. I've seen people receive healings. I've seen people, we believe God still does that. And when he does that, it's a glimpse of the kingdom of God being made manifest. But by the way, it's not just healings and miracles and kind of exciting stuff. When you're kind to somebody that bothers you, that's the kingdom breaking in, right? When you give generously or when you serve somebody, when you love somebody who's hard to love, that's not you. That's not me. That's the kingdom of God breaking in on our lives and our relationships. And that's the power that we see in his kingdom. Do we live with a sense of his kingdom around us? Do we ask him for his kingdom to be made known and manifest in our lives? It'd be a good prayer to pray. And then the last thing that we see in this text this morning is the people of the kingdom. Uh, This language of kingdom is a little foreign to Americans because we don't have a king or a queen or a court or anything like that, right? But I think there's three things that we can agree are true of a kingdom. Number one, there's a king. Number two, there's people that the king rules over or reigns over. And number three, there's a way in which those people should live because they have a king. And when you think of it that way, every single one of us is a part of a kingdom because every single one of us has something or someone that sits on the throne of our heart our king, that means the most to us, that is most significant to us. And we live our lives in relation, oriented toward our king. And as I was thinking about what it means to be a people of God's kingdom, it occurred to me, everybody is a person of some kingdom. The question is, which kingdom do you really belong to? 
And I found this list of other kingdoms, and I want to share, share them with you quickly, 15 other kingdoms. And, and as I go through this, and I'll be quick, I want you to consider, are any of these kingdoms that have power over my life? So the first kingdom is the power kingdom. And you know that your kingdom is strong if you have power, and if you have influence over people, and if you can flex on people, and if you can get things to done. So this is the power kingdom. The Another kingdom is the approval kingdom. Some people live their whole lives trapped in the approval kingdom, and their king is the approval of other people, and they're enslaved to what other people think of them. And you cannot make a choice without thoughts of how other people will perceive you, okay? I think we all struggle with this, right? Approval kingdom. Then there's the comfort kingdom. This is a big one for me. I want things to go my way. I want my day to go the way I planned it. And anything that gets in the way of my plan and my day and me is a problem. The comfort kingdom. Another kingdom is the control kingdom. I was at TJ Maxx earlier this week and I saw a sign that said, I'm completely flexible as long as things are going my way. (laughs) I should have bought it for someone I know. But uh, (laughs) control kingdom. Some of us, our life only makes sense when we can control it. Then there's the being needed kingdom. Some people, your entire identity and value and worth is wrapped around somebody needing you. This is a big one for parents, maybe more so even in some cases for moms than dads, where like your whole life you, you're needed by your children. And I've seen people struggle with this when their children grow and, they, and they're gone and they're like, now who needs me? And so this is a problem because it ends up putting our hope and trust in being needed and being useful. Uh, dependence kingdom. Um, this is the idea that I, I have people around me that help me and give me what I need whenever I want it. I have one daughter that, that likes this kingdom. My other daughter, one of my other daughters, likes the next kingdom, which is independence kingdom, which is my life is worth living as long as I can do it on my own. And I don't need to rely on anybody else, okay? Another kingdom here is the work kingdom. These people say, I'm highly productive and I'm getting a lot of work done and my value and my worth is tied up in my work. Then there's the materialism kingdom, which is the stuff that I have and the car that I can drive and the vacations that I can take. Then there's, we have to say this, there's the religion kingdom where some people, their kingdom is not Jesus' kingdom. Their kingdom is a kingdom of keeping the rules and being a religious person and being better than all those people who didn't go to church today, right? Then there's the racial cultural kingdom. This is where we get the terrible sin of racism and nationalism, where we believe that our culture or our race is superior to other people, right? There is the relationship kingdom, where Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me and wants to be with me. There is the suffering kingdom. For some people, they say, I am hurting and I'm in a problem, and only when I'm hurting do I actually feel worthy of love or able to deal with my guilt, And I'm very sympathetic towards people who struggle with this because in most cases, this started because of terrible suffering. And in terrible suffering, sometimes suffering becomes our actual identity and we don't know who we are apart from it and this becomes our kingdom. Two more, the political kingdom. I don't have to say anything. All right, Uh, and then the last one here, the image kingdom. And this is the person who says, if I have a particular kind of look or image, then I'm good. What's the problem with these kingdoms? Well, they're not God's kingdom. They're not Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is not king of those kingdoms. But the real problem with these kingdoms, I want you to hear me this morning, is they're too small. They're way too small. God gave you a heart with a hunger for real things, for big things. And you'll never be satisfied with any of these kingdoms. In fact, the worst thing for some of you would be to get your kingdom you know, if you're, if you're, so the last one, for example, image kingdom. If you're an image person, 
right? And, and you have a certain, like, I, I've, since the beginning of January, I've been trying to lose weight. It's less about image and less about just staying alive. And so um, this is what I'm doing right now. But I have a number in my head. Like, this is the number I want to get to. But when I get there, guess what I'm going to find out? I'm still me. I still got my issues. I still got my problems. If you're a work person and you get that promotion, you're going to go to work and you're going to be so taken with yourself for a couple of weeks, then you're going to realize this is still a lot of work. And there's still somebody who has a job above me. These kingdoms are too small for you. They're too small for your heart. You've not been created for these kingdoms. You've been created for the kingdom of God, which is eternal, which is great enough to satisfy your heart. I listened to an interview recently with Tom Brady. This was after he'd won his third Super Bowl, I think. And they said to him, man, it must feel so good to have won three Super Bowls. He goes, yeah, it is. But I keep asking myself, is this all there is to life? Tom Brady. Do you know Tom Brady? Super Bowl, one of the most winningest uh, athletes of all time, married to a supermodel, wealthy, all these different things he has, and all he can do is look at the interview and go, I, I don't know, it's not enough. I don't. And then the interviewer said, the interviewer looked stunned. And the interviewer was like, well, what, what else is there? And he said, I wish I knew. Why? Tom Brady's heart has been created for something bigger than the kingdom of winning Super Bowls bigger than the kingdom of image, bigger than the kingdom of being married to his dream girl, bigger than all of that, and so has yours. C.S. Lewis says it this way, and I'm gonna ask the band to come up, we're gonna sing. He said, the Lord finds our desires not too strong. Listen, you have to lean into this quote. Not too strong, but he finds our desires too weak. Listen to how he describes this. You and I are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is available. And offered to us. We're like a child who wants to go on making mud pies uh, in a slum because he cannot imagine the possibility of a vacation by the ocean. We are far too easily pleased. We think these kingdoms will give us life, but they weaken us, they exhaust us, and ultimately they enslave us. And yesterday in our read together portion in the book of Romans, we read in Romans 6.16, don't you realize, this is what Paul was saying, listen to this, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you obey, whoever is your king, you become the slave to that thing. In every other kingdom, you are a slave, but in God's kingdom, you are free. So what does it mean to be the people of the kingdom? As the people of the kingdom, we see Jesus for who he is, and we trust him, and we love him. I want to finish with this thought. In Luke chapter 12, eight chapters later, Jesus says something amazing to his disciples. Because you maybe like, this kingdom sounds good, this kingdom where I'm satisfied, where I'm free, where I'm me. How do I get into this kingdom? How can I be a person of the kingdom of God? And look at what Jesus says. He says, fear not, little flock. I, can you hear the tone in his voice? Little flock. You and me, sheep. We're confused. <laughs> We're dumb. We wander. We would starve ourselves to death if there wasn't a shepherd to lead us in the pastures. We would, we, we would die of thirst if there wasn't a shepherd to lead us to water. We could never fight off our enemies if there wasn't a shepherd who would fight for us and risk his life or her life for us. Fear not, little flock. And then look at why Jesus says we shouldn't fear. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is so different than every other kingdom. 
Every other kingdom says, prove you belong. Prove yourself to your king. Earn your seat at the table. And Jesus is saying, God loves nothing more than to give you the kingdom. Listen, some of you this morning, you're good. You're a good person, you're a good Christian, but you don't live like this is true. You're trying to, you are desperately trying to work your way into his kingdom. And Jesus wants to say to you this morning, hold up, it's God's delight to give you the kingdom. This is what his will is for you. How is this even possible? It's possible because Jesus is a very different king than every other king. Every other king destroys their enemies to get to the top. Jesus laid his life down for his enemies. Every other king shows off their strength in front of their people, but Jesus demonstrated his weakness in front of us, dying the death of a criminal on the cross. Every other king uses their power for their good, but Jesus gave up his power for our good, and every other king ascends to a throne, but Jesus, our king, was lifted up on a cross. Jesus is the only king who would leave his throne and come to earth to do for you and I what we can never do for ourselves because we have the wrong priorities, we look to the wrong places for power, and we belong to the wrong kingdoms. And Jesus said, I can do something about that. And he came and he did it right in our place. His priorities were right. He used his power to glorify the Father and to display the kingdom. And then ultimately, he was the faithful one who went all the way to the cross. And at the cross, he ascended to death for you and for me. Why? So that God could give us the kingdom. Every single one of us belongs to a kingdom. And the question this morning is, is it God's kingdom? And the good news is, there's no working your way in. There's no rolling up your sleeves and figuring it out. There's simply saying, God, if you delight to give me your kingdom, I'd like it. I'll receive it because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together.